Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope. This is a show about people who did that. They never gave up no matter what. Most of my guests have survived incredible circumstances. And as a result, they have a passion to help other people. This is a common thread that I have seen in talking with my guests that they want to help those who may be going through something similar of what they have survived. Some of them have survived extreme poverty or abuse of varying forms. Some have had to overcome serious depression or disease. And many of them has, have had to fight to survive. And this show gives them the opportunity to not only share that story, but also to give us tips and encouragement. I thank my guests because we all have a story and it is so important for them to share their story and to share it from a platform where people are looking for hope. The entire world is looking for hope. Our audience is in 140 countries and it is amazing the feedback that I get from various places around the world who have been encouraged by listening to the stories of other people. So thank you, especially to you listeners, because without you we wouldn't have a show and I certainly appreciate all your input and feedback. With me today, <clears throat> this is going to be a subject that I believe is possibly misunderstood to some point. It's the subject of narcissism and Dr. Deanne Pomerantz is going to share some incredible insight in this and I'm really looking forward to it. Dr. Deanne is an author, a clinical psychologist who has been in practice working with children adolescents and adults for over 38 years. The book that she has authored is entitled Lost in the Reflecting Pool. We're going to talk about this later but I just wanted to share what the book is about which is based on the myth of narcissists who fell in love with their own reflections. That is so amazing because I really don't think there's enough discussion about this that so many people are affected about narcissists in their lives and so this is one of the main things that Dr. Deanne is going to talk about today. She has also done extensive work in the area of trauma and child abuse and research in the area of personality development of abused children. 
she herself comes from a place of abuse and as I mentioned on the top of the show this is why when people have been victims they want to help others so they can become victors she comes from that place of abuse along with that pain of infertility emotional abuse breast cancer and a marriage to a pathological narcissist so she comes by her information naturally so let's share your love story first and and obviously you fell in love with a narcissist so this is going to be an interesting love story so let's start with that okay well you know I think when we fall in love we all have a tendency to ignore things we see and if there's one thing one major message in my memoir it is how important it is to pay attention to those red flags that we see because it isn't as if we don't see things because we do it's that we ignore them we make excuses for one reason or another I mean there may be different reasons we all ignore them but when we fall in love we always we often tend to ignore things that we see so I met my my husband and as with narcissists they are charming yes I mean for for years there were flowers and um, when for every occasion at every restaurant we went to but there were little things that happened that I would tell myself affecting perfection they would I just always had this feeling that if I really ever needed him if I were really ever sick he wouldn't be there for me. So at, what I'm hearing you saying is that you chose to ignore these flags. Is that correct? Absolutely. But things were okay until we had children. And then he was no longer the center of my universe. Oh, okay. Which often happens right. when you're with a narcissist. His sadism became much more apparent. Then when I was diagnosed with cancer, there was no way I could keep the blinders in place. Was there ever a time during this, uh, uh, you know, of, of your recognizing this in him or whatever, that you were afraid? Like, was fear a factor in this relationship? Well, yes. But I wasn't there I there was but I was so afraid that I forgot the incident okay okay I start my memoir with an incident Um, we had just moved our children were very young we had just moved into a new house and um, a the people we had bought the house from, their cat would come to the back to the house 
would wander back to the house and I would call them and they'd come pick the house up and it would annoy him my husband okay and um he'd get really angry about it my children were young but they loved when the cat would come to the house <laughs> two and a half and five so they would really enjoy it one night the kids were asleep and he grabbed the cat and he took him when he came back he said the cat won't bother us anymore oh my word are you serious how did you react I threw up oh my goodness no kidding and then I forgot it oh on purpose I couldn't think about right. it right <clears throat> to think about it was terrifying yes I had two little kids yes yes that was a number it was about eight years before I got sick maybe not quite eight years it was a few years before I got sick okay. and it was then when he was really being gaslighting me and being sadistic okay and I was in therapy that I remembered it I was terrified of course until then I totally forgotten about it I had repressed it but that was I didn't realize at that point that was the thing that had made me really withdraw in the marriage which probably was one of the things that made him more sadistic because he wasn't getting his needs met. Okay. Because I was far less adoring of him. But that really made me, I became quite depressed because I was terrified of him. You know, emotion, so, you know, a relationship always has two there were two people in a relationship. Yes. When I was the adoring wife and the narcissist needs to be totally adored. Okay. Then it was okay. But at that point, I was terrified of him. So what did you do? Well, I was in the middle of treatment for cancer at the time. And was he, um, uh, was he attentive in that at all? I don't suppose. Right? No. No, he wasn't. He was sadistic. He was gaslighting me. He was, um, he wanted me dead. He was having an affair. He was a physician. He was having an affair with a patient. Now, uh, in, in hindsight, what would you recommend to somebody in your position? I would, first of all, I, I recommend that one pay attention to those red flags speak up when you see them don't ignore them so that's the first thing now you when you're saying speak up do you mean to that person or in an well yeah i mean to that person okay so give, give us some give us a list again maybe of some of those red flags he had a horrible relationship with his parents particularly with his mother and by his age and with all the therapy he was in, he should have worked through it by that time. Okay. <laughs> You'd think. You know? <laughs> You'd think. But that was a red flag. Okay. What else? Um, 
but you know, but that's just one little thing, and that in and of itself maybe isn't such a big deal. Um, he was into some kind of crazy cultish therapy stuff. Okay. He had some crazy ideas about different things. But this isn't and specifically uh, regarding the nar. I'm trying to ask about the narcissistic about the flags. Nar- yeah. He he could never be wrong about anything. Okay. Okay. He could never apologize. Okay. He never could say he was sorry. Okay. He was a master at manipulating with words. Okay. It was always somebody else's fault. Now, some people might say that that is the average male, correct? <laughs> so, so what yeah. would differentiate between, you know, like the strong male ego and somebody who's crossed the line to be an, a narcissist? He was very grandiose. Okay. He thought he was better than everybody. <clears throat> I used I thought of him sort of as an arm he was an armchair parent. Oh, okay. You know, he could talk about what everyone else should do. Right. He didn't do anything. So yeah, he wasn't a contributor, in other words, to the to the marriage or to the relationship or to the family structure. Right. But and, he had lots of ideas about what everyone should do. I think that, that, that you really nailed it there as far as um, I'm thinking of different people, you know, that I might know that would, would fit what you just described. And yes, uh, they definitely are narcissists. So I think that's, that's a good way to put it. The other thing is that he really thinks they really think only of themselves when I was going through fertility treatment at one point I had had a some surgery on a surgical procedure and I had pain it was in and out of you know a in and out procedure and um, I was in pain all weekend and on Monday morning, the doctor said I needed to come to the hospital, and he was going to his office in Washington. He said, call your parents. My parents lived in New York. We're in Maryland. And have them take you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Four, is- <laughs> four hours away. That is they laughable. They come to Maryland <laughs> to take me because he had to leave for work. So in those kind of instances, like you said, some of those flags that were coming up, how did you react? Did you react by being condescending or did you? No, you know, I called my parents. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay. Um, and then in that same incident, it turned out, I mean, the hospital had made, had given, they had given me too much anesthesia and popped a hole in my lung. So I had a pneumothorax anyway. I was in the hospital for 10 days, and they were going to do an angiogram, and I was five, and I wanted him to come and be there when I had it. And his attitude was, well, my parents, he didn't come. My parents were going to be there, so he didn't have. So it was that sort of thing. How many children did you have? We had two children. What point? Like you started to realize this, and and when did you start to do something about it? I didn't do anything about it. You didn't. Till 
I had cancer, and then I couldn't leave while I had cancer. Of course. Because I, I wasn't working. I had a, was in a year-long treatment, and I had stopped working, so I had no money. And so then it took me another year to get myself together, and my father bought a townhouse for my kids and I to move into, and so then I was able to leave. So you didn't have to be dependent upon your ex then? Right. Okay. But I needed to together, and I still wasn't. I mean, and, you know, he said, he told me, you know, he gave me, until we went to court, he gave me $10 a week for each child. Oh, my goodness. That much? How did you spend it all? <laughs> he did not want, I was, I had to have a stem cell transplant. And um, he did not want me to have the stem cell transplant because I would be out of work. Oh, my goodness. So what you're saying, to, and let's summarize this, this part that we're discussing. Being married to a narcissist, the, the signals, the warning sign, the flags that you're looking for is that even though they may be a charmer in the beginning, that eventually it'll come to light that there really is only one person important in their life, and that is themselves. Right. And one of the other pieces of it is that it isn't always physical abuse. Okay. Um, and that emotional abuse, in some ways, and I'm not going to make say one is worse than the other, but in some ways, emotional abuse has a more insidious, kind of crazy-making impact than physical abuse. When you have physical abuse, you know you're being abused. Okay, right, right. When you're being psychologically (coughs) abused, you just don't know whether you're crazy or not. You don't know if it's you or if it's them. It's subtle. It's subtle. You, You know, it is really, really subtle. So what would happen was, We'd get, he would get, he would harangue me and say things, but always very calmly. Oh. <laughs> and I would get into a rage. Mm. And I looked like a lunatic, sounded like a lunatic. That was the plan, right? Yes. And then he was really calm and in a great mood. And meanwhile, I looked like and felt like a lunatic. So what do you... And when, I, when he was having this affair and I was saying things about it, he would tell me I was delusional. Oh, okay. You know, and I already looked like a lunatic, although I had already stopped my rages by that time. But, you know, it was... And it took me a very long time. I mean, this was really... I had real PTSD from this. Really? Yes, it took years to get over it. Is part of the reason for that um, in the area of self-esteem and self-worth? Well, absolutely. I mean, I 
my whole sense of self had been devoured and eaten away. I had no sense of who I was as separate from him, which is why the title of my book is Lost in the Reflecting Pool. I didn't know if it was me or if I was, if it was me or him. You know, the myth of narcissists, it's narcissists and echo. Echo falls in love with narcissists. And she can only echo what narcissist says. Oh, really? Good point. And that's really what happened. I lost my voice. Yes. I lost who I was in the relationship. And it took a very long time to find myself once I was out of the relationship. But it took me to get answer. Now, what about the kids in all of this? Like, they had to see what was going on. And, and how did he treat the children, other than ignore them, like you said? Well, you know, when they were infants, I thought he was a good father. Because they weren't really people then. Okay. You know, as yeah, infants, I get it. They, I get it. they yeah. were infants. But once they started being people, on the surface, it looked like he was okay, but... When I was sick, he really, he did the bare minimum, you know. Well, you were an inconvenience to him. I think that's a point that you need to and make. D- yes. Yes, and they were too. Okay. And they, you know, and um, I'm very lucky. My kids turned out fine. They, you know, we've had an impact on them. Now, as a clinical psychologist, do you see this a lot? Yes. Not only do I see it a lot, people who have read my book, I mean, I get emails all the time from people who have read my book, and they say it is their story. Oh, really? Okay. So who who's your audience for your book? Is it mostly women? Is it just... Uh, in- well, it's interesting. I thought, quite honestly, that... I would have negative feedback from men. Really? I I did, but that has not been the case. But it is, it is definitely a woman's book. Okay. It is definitely a woman's book, and it definitely has to do with, I mean, there are a lot of women's issues in it. Okay, okay. There's parenting issues, okay. there's adoption, there's fertility, right. relationship right. issues of all sorts. Breast cancer. So, breast cancer. Um, it, you know, so it's not just about abuse right. and narcissism. Right. So it's definitely a woman's, okay. woman's book. Um but um, it's been very well received. Good. Okay. That's excellent. And it's actually been a it's a, been an Amazon bestseller, and it's gotten a number of awards. Oh, awesome! And what kind of awards? Like, I'm just trying to gear into. Uh, is it's it gotten, self self help or? It's gotten memoir 
awards. It's gotten the readers' favorites. It's got okay. It got a sorry the um, next generation best indie award. Okay, it just got Excellent. in memoir. It's gotten um, it's gotten a bunch of them. Um, so obviously, it's a read for a vast audience. Yes, it has sold about. 6,000 copies okay. so far. Oh, that's awesome. Now, one of the things that I'm assuming you discuss in your book <clears throat> is resilience because you are a resilient person with, with all the trauma that you had endured. Um, what factors do you think influence resilience in somebody's life? Well, I think that that there are many things. I think it's very important to have a support system um, and to not isolate oneself, which is very easy to do. I mean, I think for me, despite the fact that my husband was not there for me when I was sick, I did have a very strong friend and family support system. Um, and one of the things that is a characteristic of a narcissist, and this is important to keep in mind, is they do try to isolate you from friends and family because oh. they want you all to your, themselves. Okay. So it's very important to not allow that to happen. And how it do you do essential. that? How do you do that? You just don't allow it. Okay. You keep those relationships up. Okay. You maintain your relationships. You don't stop your relationships with your family. They will do all kinds of manipulative things to get you to begin to see fault with everyone. Now, I interviewed a, a woman who wrote a book on narcissism as well, but it was from the perspective as a child of a narcissist. Mm -hmm. Can you address that a little bit? The child is always longing to be loved. So it can have many different outcomes, but there's always the longing for the parent. So does the uh, other parent usually try to compensate for that? Is that the the case most often? Not necessarily. Okay. It, de it depends, you know, not necessarily. It depends who the narcissist has married. It also depends is the narcissist a father or a mother, you know, that makes a difference, I think. And is narcissism predominantly male? No. Really? They look, may look different, but there are plenty of narcissistic women. Okay. Well, why don't you talk, can you talk about that a little bit? Because I think that, you know, there may be some male listeners that need to hear that. What What's different, if anything? There's the same kind of self-absorption. Okay. The same kind of lack of 
mutuality and emotional reciprocity, the same kind of grandiosity. But it's always based on a real sense of inadequacy. Okay. And inferiority. Really? I mean, that's really what, that's really what underlies narcissism. But there's sort of this empty shell. And a narcissist, it's sort of like being a chameleon. So they will be what they think the other person wants them to be in order to get their needs met. Okay. When their needs are no longer met, they can just discard that person. But since there never was a genuine relationship, right? once they discard that person, that person doesn't exist anymore. I don't exist for my ex-husband anymore. I don't exist at all. So people say to me, what does he think about your book? Oh, and right, I, right. And I say, I don't think he knows about it. And they say, how can he not know about it? Well, my kids haven't told him. And he ha- I don't exist for him. Wow. So it isn't like he would be Googling me. Right, Because right. he says, I don't exist. Very interesting. And he doesn't, we haven't, we haven't spoken in a number of years. Okay, okay. And so there's no way he would know about it. And so, because believe me, if he knew about it, I would hear about it. Yeah, that's a, that's a good way to, yeah, you could pretty well take that to the bank, right? Right. So, but I don't exist. It was something he said to me and... It was, I mean, it was before we separated. He said, you know, I have the ability, and he thought he was saying something positive about himself. Okay. I have the ability, once I'm done with someone, they don't exist for me anymore. Wow, what a thing to say. And he thought he was saying something positive. Yeah, like, this is good. You need to learn how to do this. But that's really how he operates. Because no one really matters to him. And that was very hard to come to terms with. For me, what I then struggled with for a very long time was, and I was with this person for 20 years, did I really have a relationship with this person? Was there a relationship? I guess I had a relationship. I don't know if he did. Right. (laughs) That's a good point. But But that's the essence of being in a relationship with a narcissist. I may have had something with him. I don't know that he really had one with me. Do you ever have instances in your practice where parents are concerned about seeing their children in uh, as narcissists? Is that a common or an uncommon scenario? The thing is I see, because I work a lot with young children, parents more concerned some of the same issues, but concerned with lack of empathy. Right, right. Really concerned more at this point in time with issues of autism. And okay, okay, okay. But you know, there are things that there are certain overlaps. Right, of course, in anything. What about so, bullies? What do bullies fall under this category? They certainly can, sure. Okay. 
And a lot of this is, but there is a lot of bullying in narcissism. Now, switch gears for a minute. Uh, you had mentioned when we spoke earlier, what is about healing through writing? What is that? Well, you know, writing is one way that one can process traumatic events. And for me, actually, writing my memoir, which took many years, was a healing process. Because by writing, you're distancing yourself, but you're distancing yourself enough from what happened to be able to gain more perspective as you look at it. And in that way, you are able to broaden your understanding. And what's interesting for me is that, just in terms of my own experience as a psychologist, you know, I've had my own therapy and have found it useful. Writing this memoir, and it's not just about what happened in my marriage and cancer, but in general, I'm more grounded in my life okay. than Good. I have ever been with all the therapy. Not that the therapy wasn't helpful, but I feel more grounded in my life than I ever have. Um, and I think it's because writing this pulled together and continues to pull together so many different things for me. You know, you asked about, was I ever afraid? And I wrote an incident about the cat. Right. I originally, in one of the early drafts of the memoir, had written about the cat somewhere in the back of the book, in the back of the draft. And then someone who read it said, I think you need to open the book with that. <laughs> Because it's a good hook. Yes. So I did do that. But I did it as a hook. And it wasn't until the book had already been published that I realized that encapsulated the whole story of my marriage. But it wasn't until it was already published that I was able to process that. So that's what I mean by writing is a process and allows you to sort of rewrite your life narrative. Okay, and I totally can understand, and I'm sure that most authors who have written memoirs have the same experience. Mm -hmm. it, it is therapeutic, uh, most definitely. And when I do groups, um, what I find is when we do different kinds of writing activities, people gain tremendous insight in the activities we do that and think about things in new ways okay. that they hadn't thought about before. Now, do you have um, any kind of, whether a coaching or helps of any kind on your website, or is this strictly through one-on-one uh, -on -one on my website, I have a contact me. Okay. And do you deal with coaching then or to help people or therapy of any kind? Or is it strictly like you're just answering emails? I do. Um, I answer emails and I, it's really per 
depending upon. Okay, all right. So you're you're available for contact. In other words, is what I was right. trying. Okay, excellent. Yeah. All right. So, is there anything in summary that you want to share? I appreciate all the different aspects that you discussed today. Uh, regarding this subject, as I said uh, right on the onset, that narcissism, I believe, is is something that many people have to deal with in relationships. And as you said, it can be women just as much as men. Is there anything that, and you talked about the flags, you know, that we can look for. I appreciate that. Anything that you would like to capsulize or say in summary? And people need to trust what they see trusting one's gut is very very important and your book is available as you mentioned on amazon it's a story uh is it written totally as a story yes it is and, and but, it is um on kindle and also in an audio book okay oh book. excellent it's an audio as well thank you yes all right well this has definitely been enlightening and i really appreciate you coming on to our show today Deanne and again you are available to talk to people and please you know people go out there and look at at your website buy your book give it as a gift okay, what, what I have found is that um, people who are married to a narcissist find this to be the kind of book they don't put down can't put down excellent because they're they're relating they're putting themselves in this situation, right? Right. Great. Well, thank you. And I'm sure we'll be speaking to you again. Thank you for okay. being on our show. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.